Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor-in-chief of the New Books Network, and the following interview is being republished with permission from the excellent podcast Psychologists Off the Clock. That's Psychologists Off the Clock at offtheclockpsych.com. I hope you enjoy the interview. Ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. Posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Welcome. I'm Ray Littlewood, and today on Psychologists Off the Clock, I'll be interviewing Anne Bracken, the author of a book titled Mind, Body, Baby, How to Overcome Stress and Enhance Your Fertility with CBT, Mindfulness, and Good Nutrition. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thank you so much, Ray. Anne is a specialty fertility counselor and cognitive behavior therapist with private practice based in Dublin, as well as web-based therapy services at www.fertilitycounselingonline.com. I will post information about how to find Anne Bracken, as well as other resources for infertility in our blog post for this episode. Okay, Anne, could you start off by talking a little bit about your background and how you came to write this book? Well, I worked uh, primarily in health clinics. So, for example, I worked in the Lister Fertility Clinic in Chelsea in London for over a year. And I also worked uh, for Ireland's largest fertility clinic, uh, Sims IVF. And I found that uh, whilst people were coming through treatment, They were very much focused on the medical model, which is very, very important, of course. Um, But actually, uh, more and more often, they were being referred to me for the psychological impact of the fertility treatment itself. And uh, invariably, they were experiencing physiological symptoms of stress and also emotional, psychological symptoms of stress. And when I looked into it more fully, uh, the research really supports that actually uh, most people disengage with treatment, uh, not necessarily for financial reasons. The primary reason is because the psychological impact is is so uh, huge. So I felt that there really needed to be some kind of support there, which was able to support them throughout their fertility journey. And so I decided to write the book. Okay. So this book is written for individuals going through infertility or infertility treatment. Is that right? 
Yes, exactly. It's for people who want to engage in a natural approach or with assisted medical reproductive uh, treatment. And uh, the book deals with both. So I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist, as you said. I'm also a mindfulness-based trainer. And I just felt that there was lots of approaches that you could do uh, throughout, which would help to basically support the emotional experience of the fertility journey. And also, you know, some self-belief that can get rocked and the the type of thinking that may or may not help you um, as you progress, including really how we engage in relationships and also how you engage with relationships with lots of medical practitioners or natural health practitioners, how to really get the most out of your fertility journey by having a more self-empowered experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that your book really covers how multifaceted the experience of infertility is. Um, I wonder, in your work with, with clients, could you talk a little bit about what the common scenarios are that you see um, in how infertility impacts individuals and couples? Well, often uh, individuals internalize the process and over-personalize it. In other words, and it's understandable, it's quite a private experience. And uh, although one in six couples throughout the world experience infertility problems, it may not be that they necessarily know the friends that are going through it or family members that are going through it. So therefore, what can happen is that the person themselves starts to self-blame. If I'd done this differently, if I'd gone to see this consultant sooner, if I'd gone to this hospital before or this natural health practitioner, if I hadn't been on, you know, uh, the contraceptive pill, could it have worked this way? You know, so... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of self-blaming goes on. And so the mindfulness part of the uh, approach is really about trying to develop some self-acceptance and uh, less resistance to the process as you're going through it. Because, of course, what can happen is that we become stressed about being stressed mm-hmm. or become depressed about being uh, finding the process challenging or anxiety provoking. So it's really to recognize the symptoms, to recognize the thinking uh, when it's really uh, not self-supportive. And that would often be the case. So the clients that I work with, they either self-blame or they might even there may be a rupture within the relationship as each person is going through their own process in a different way as an individual. You know, one person who experiences maybe a negative pregnancy outcome might really experience the full-blown effects of grief and loss. And maybe their partner has more acceptance sooner and might be looking at maybe different treatment options. So they're in two different places trying to hold the same experience. So that can lead to uh, conflict within the relationship as well. Hmm. I've heard, you know, so many, so many people who are dealing with infertility, I think the initial response is just um, surprise and confusion about why am I not getting pregnant? And and like you said, that can, um, you know, for some couples, I imagine earlier than others, um, become uh, sort of this process of what happened, why me? And that's how they end up experiencing more anxiety, depression, and then come see you, for example. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a very, it's a medical diagnosis and it's actually uh, listed by the World Health Organization as a disability. But people can really feel um, the sense of shock 
mm-hmm. which is, you know, associated with any big loss. And um, there's so much uncertainty in terms of uh, a fertility diagnosis. What does it mean? How long will it therefore take to get pregnant? Will I become pregnant? What will it mean for our relationship? Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty there. Where should I go for treatment? Should I go for treatment? Should we just try naturally and take these particular supplements or modify our lifestyle? So a lot of uncertainty. And as human beings, we don't necessarily hold uncertainty very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And this uncertainty can last for quite a while. So it could even mean that a person becomes pregnant with treatment or without treatment and still they don't have the answer as to why uh, they experience this particular problem. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to be with the uncertainty and to plan, you know, so plan appropriately rather than over strategize, rather than seek constant reassurance from lots of different clinics or Mm -hmm. treatment uh, specialists Um, and to gain the wisdom, I guess, through clarity of mind and through feeling a a bit more balanced uh, by taking what I believe is the mind-body approach to fertility. Uh, In so doing, then you make the wiser decisions for your own treatment if you need it. And also there's more of a connection, a bonding process with your partner and also with yourself um, while you go through that experience. Hmm. So in part of your counseling with people is really to help them navigate that kind of entering into fertility treatment and then the many, many decisions that they're faced with along the way. I've, I've often heard that um, infertility is best treated as a linear process that you really don't know how you're going to feel about any treatment or any part of it until you're there. And and like you said, so much of dealing with uncertainty is trying to plan out and anticipate and if this, then that, and, and that can really create a lot of anxiety. How do you, how does your book help to um, sort of unravel that for people? Well, it takes an integrative approach to an integrative problem. So, for example, uh, uh, the book would maybe give a lot of, there's a whole chapter, quite a big chapter on the medical processes. So sometimes it's that we need clear information about what to expect from the different treatment processes. And equally, I would uh, discuss a natural treatment approach. So mm-hmm. how might, you know, they go through it in a natural way? How might they go through it various different uh, treatment approaches? And what are the considerations? So, um, for example, if they're going through IUI, what might that mean for them medically? What might they need to know about what to ask their consultant? Mm-hmm. Even how best to choose the best clinic for yourself. So information is key, being empowered. And yet at the same time, you don't want to be overthinking. Mm -hmm. So I might then get them to get a client to work at allowing fertility free zones and also to have fertility specific thinking time so that they allocate a particular time to working out the issue or working out the next right action. And then particular times when they let it go. So that it's not constantly in their, um, you know, that they're not constantly thinking about it. Um, equally, the journaling throughout the book uh, is very, very much specifically focused on the fertility journey. 
mm. and to allow the person to really process uh, their experience and to really get in touch at a very deep level as to really what's being triggered here and what kind of beliefs are being triggered or what kind of thinking is being triggered and is it helpful or is it hindering my process and how much you know evidence supports it or is there a lot more evidence that doesn't so really keeping them consciously aware throughout the process so that they're making uh, decisions that are uh, more responsive decisions rather than reactive decisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how your book is laid out with clear questions that people can ask themselves, discuss with their partners and journal about. You really cover, I think, what are four essential topics for self-care on the fertility journey. And you've already spoken a little bit about some of them. Um, and they are mindfulness, cognitive behavior therapy, nutrition, and mindful movement. In your work with individuals and couples, where do you start? I usually start with what's presenting as their primary issue. So I would, you know, during an opening session, it's really where are they now and what are their needs now? Mm. Um, But I would also get a sense of where their medical treatment is or where their natural health treatment is. So uh, often people can be going to see an awful lot of specialists uh, going through fertility treatment. So it really is to get a sense of how that's working for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's what's the psychological impact of of where they are and and what's happening in their relationship. So getting a sense of that and also what's happening in terms of their medical treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because it really is about trying to support them on those levels. It's about supporting them. So some of my work is really kind of fertility coaching um, mm-hmm. from the point of view of maybe looking at the medical aspects. And then from the psychological and emotional impact, we're looking at how to best resource them. So I would want to know then where are they now? So they might have just had a negative outcome or they might have experienced a miscarriage or they might be just actually starting out on their fertility journey and have discovered that there's some issues that they need to address. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then looking at, okay, because because of where they are now, what do they what are they experiencing? Also about themselves, um or what are their beliefs about the future? What are their beliefs about the past? And what are their beliefs about the present? Okay. And uh, trying to um, basically resource them as best as possible to uh, to be in the strongest position to go through this. Because it is definitely, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's 38% of people going through fertility problems experience either depression or anxiety at some point in the process. So that's a huge percentage compared to, say, 4% in the usual general population. Mm -hmm. And so it really is about saying, well, it may not happen to me, but I really want to be sure that it's not happening now and that I'm not slipping into a a space that's very difficult to come out of Mm -hmm. emotion. Mm. And it seems um, like your work um, using mindfulness would be a helpful a helpful tool for people at any phase along this journey. Yes, because it allows them to really kind of step, take a little bit of space to pause and be with what's happening to them 
emotionally, physically, psychologically and somatically. So, you know, there's a, you know, it's quite an intrusive treatment, whether it's natural or whether it's with assisted reproductive treatment. It's quite intrusive. And therefore, how is that impacting on the person physically? And, and how are they, you know, what kind of healing are they doing as they're going through that, for example? Mm-hmm trigger all sorts uh, with people feeling very disconnected from their body. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's looking at supporting them in that process and also meeting them where they where they are so that they're, whilst it's challenging, that it's not overwhelming for them. Mm. Yeah, I can see where mindfulness um, allows people to really relate to their experience, but that there's this I don't know when it's so intrusive, like you said, that there's this um, reluctance to be connected to the experience because of some of the unpleasantness. How, how do you advise people in that that kind of um, mismatch, I guess, that they don't want to be connected to their experience because it's unpleasant? Yes, that's it. And it's really about trying to lead to you know, the type of meditations that I have included in the book and that I generally work with people is really around loving kindness meditation. And so that it's really about staying connected to themselves rather than necessarily kind of self-downing and that there's more self-compassion being Mm. their own friend as they go through it. Mm. And also keeping their heart open when it can be very easily closed um, by experiencing this experience, which can be quite shocking. It's very hard to keep your heart open and go through, you know, uh, a physically and emotionally and psychologically challenging experience. You're trying to uh, really utilize mindfulness for this and also to recognize the somatic experience. So if they go into a clinic and they feel a lot of fear, that they're aware that fear is here and that they can observe it, but not necessarily be overwhelmed by it and also not let fear be the driving force for their decision making. Mm -hmm. And then also you're hoping to bring some of the mindfulness, uh, compassionate work, self-compassion also into the relationship. Mindfulness meditation allows you to even hold difficult situations and also hold difficult times with your partner uh, in a more compassionate, self-kind way. The connection between mindfulness and CBT has really become pretty strong and helpful in our work with people going through infertility. Could you talk about how you add on CBT to mindfulness? Yes, it's interesting. I've always, I always call it CBT with a heart (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I think, you know, CBT is really um, helpful at identifying very quickly what the person's belief system is. Because I'm going through this fertility problem, I believe this about me or I believe this about my partner or I believe this about life. It is really helpful to pinpoint what kind of thinking has got triggered because of the the medical experience of having this diagnosis or problem for now. Um, And therefore, it's really helpful to be able to work on challenging unhelpful thinking styles to lessen the stress being experienced, the anxiety being experienced. At the same time, I like to balance this up with the gentle approach of mindfulness. I think sometimes CBT, well, it can be, you know, it can really challenge people's uh, way of thinking and belief systems. And and you're trying to get them to to really gain a different perspective on on something they might feel absolute about. Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness is quite expansive in that it 
brings that gentle awareness in a way that's manageable. So I try to always have some CBT and some mindfulness in each session. You talked also about how intrusive the experience is not only physically, but also mentally, just how difficult it is to unhook from thinking about the process. Where am I? What's the schedule? What's going to happen next? Um, the anticipation of test results. How do you see um, mindfulness and CBT as helpful in um, redirecting people? So many people, I think, you know, find it really unpleasant to be obsessing all the time and wish that there were a different way to do it or want a different way to do it. So how do you help them navigate out of that kind of... Yeah, Um, I mean, it can be helpful to have basically some distraction. So we look at, okay, what distraction approaches can you use that are helpful to you? A lot of times when people are going through fertility, it becomes so all-consuming that they let go of the very resources that usually help them through any other situation. Mm. So it's to connect them back into the resources, people, places and things that have been helpful in Mm. the past Mm. and experiences and hobbies and all those things. So that there's so during their two week wait while they're or while they're waiting for a test, that they don't necessarily do all or nothing and that they don't get involved in all or nothing thinking. Um, so in other words, that there is enough balance. You're all the time trying to bring balance back. So a balance of activities and a balance of uh, self-reflection time, so their mindfulness meditation, but also that they don't need to take two weeks off mm. and stay at home mm-hmm. um, because that's too much time to be overthinking. Mm. But also how can they create the you know, work maybe possibly during that time, but not overwork and not have expectations of themselves that they should be uh, able to concentrate more, you know, that they say good enough work Mm -hmm, (laughs) during a mm -hmm. two week wait and that they can expect Mm -hmm. some stress, that it's not about having no stress, but how they might uh, self-support during that time. And that's a combination of activities, distraction techniques, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and also uh, having those allocated times, so journaling specifically during a particular time every day, and that that's when they're working through their fertility issue with an action plan, if if it's appropriate, and if it's not, then they're working on letting it go. Mm. And but when it crops up during the day, all the time that they're going, this is not helpful, and mm. I'm actually going to allocate that, so I'm not going to overthink it now because I've got a much more constructive time planned between six and half six this evening where I work through this methodically and decide, is there a next right action I can take here Mm. or do I need to let this go? Is there Mm. something in my responsibility or is this out of my responsibility? Mm. In which case, what can I do then to self-soothe, self-care? That's a nice description of how to find balance. And, um, and I think one that probably people reading your book will really be looking for. Um, you also cover in your book how to uh, other areas like nutrition, supplements, and, and alternative modes of treatment like acupuncture. Um, talk about how you advise individuals and couples in navigating those options. Again, you mentioned the word balance, and it's true. It's about having, uh, because what can what can happen is that when people are going to treatment, they might end up with 
more stress trying to de-stress. And that means that they are going to see the nutritionist one day, then they're going to see the acupuncturist the next day, then they're going to see a fertility medical consultant on the following day. They're trying to fit in work. And they're, they're, and that's really where they're overtaking, they're taking too much responsibility. So we look at actually what does alleviate the stress and is mm. it more stressful to go and travel all the way across the city to see somebody to reduce stress or is it mm. less stressful to maybe do some meditation that evening? So could you space it out to every two weeks? So we look at the benefits versus the costs in any particular approach. And then we look at what, you know, so what may suit one person is not going to suit the other. And all of what I have included is evidence-based approaches. So mm. um, I've included, for example, when acupuncture has been deemed scientifically beneficial to the fertility process. And when it's not necessary, um, then it's about choice. It's about actually I'm choosing to go here because it's more beneficial for me to go to de-stress than it is actually evidence-based beneficial, if you see what I mean, in terms mm -hmm. of, um, you know, there's certainly pre and post embryo transfer, it has been shown that it's helpful to have acupuncture, for example. Mm. Equally, uh, you know, it is an integrative approach. And therefore, if you choose to uh, adopt uh, an, a, a healthy lifestyle and a particular nutritional approach, you, you are optimizing your chances. If you've got some kind of medically compromised uh, issue, it can be helpful to ensure that you're getting all the nutrients that best support that particular medical issue. And of course, naturally, it helps to balance mood when we are not having huge fluctuations, sugar fluctuations and hormone mm -hmm. fluctuations that can be associated with having uh, over-processed foods and lots of it. So um, so basically, it's just, a, you know, how do you adopt a healthy lifestyle? And again, I ask people not to become obsessed with that. It's more about 80-20 rules. So as long as you're, you know, mm. feeling that overall you're you're taking this healthier approach, it, it's more self-empowering as well. So you know that you're you're really looking after your body, looking after your mind as you're going through something that affects your body and your mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So and and then um, the other approaches that I um, may have mentioned uh, would be you know healing massage by people who are trained in that mm. to help to heal the somatic impact of, you know, lots of people who are going through this have, have had previous traumas or may have had previous physical traumas um, may have experienced, you know, I've worked with people, for example, who've been abused and then suddenly they're in this environment where they've got different clinicians coming in all the time and then, you know, physically having really, you know, quite big experiences like egg collection and, you know, hormone enhancing um, drugs and that. And, self-injecting and it, it can be really overwhelming for somebody who has experienced uh, an unsafe place before. So a lot of uh, that kind of work is really about how do you remain present to the physical experience uh, without actually disassociating? Mm -hmm. How can you have healing as you are going along and mm -hmm. manage this process, mm -hmm. uh, which is both physical and psychologically, emotionally demanding? Mm. And equally for other people who haven't had previous experience, they can find it very uh, physically overwhelming. So how do you remain present to your physical experience um, that, you know, as well as go through this uh, treatment, which mm. involves possibly injecting or possibly uh, certainly having lots and lots of examinations anyway. Mm -hmm. So how do you remain feeling uh, integrated as a person, you know, that you're not just 
getting really, really busy in your mind because you're disassociating from your body. I think it's really important to bring up how complicated this can be for people and, and how, you know, it's not something that needs to be or should necessarily be handled all by yourself. Getting um, help from a professional um, can be really, really beneficial, not just in getting through it, but in actually, like you said, healing along the way and having growth and being able to um, get along with your partner, um, which sort of leads into yeah. the um, the next topic. You have a chapter on the impact of infertility on your relationships. And um, I wonder if you could talk about, you know, sort of what you see as normal for couples who are going through infertility. Well, what is normal is that, you know, I guess it's about understanding that you're both individuals and you're a couple experiencing this, you know. So, um, so for example, if you experience a loss or um, a cycle doesn't work and then one person, as I said earlier, could be going through grief, which involves, you know, being shocked, feeling disorganized, feeling, you know, that maybe the future is looking bleak for them. So they feel very low feeling very cheerful, you know, feeling frustrated and angry and towards maybe even friends or towards the clinic or towards the clinician and, um, you know, or towards their partner. And yet the other person might be in a completely different part of the emotional experience of feeling that loss. So they might be in acceptance or they might be in anger stage while you're in loss stage. So how do you meet each other? empathize with each other and communicate effectively with each other when you're in two different emotional states. Mm. And uh, that's um, hope. And also sometimes there can be a lack of communication around needs. Mm. So some of the chapter is really about how do we learn empathy for not um, our own journey and also our partner's journey. How do we uh, begin to understand that their needs might be different Mm. to ours? And that their emotional experience or psychological experience might be different to ours. Mm. And how can we, so, so there's, a, there's, you know, some exercises in there about active listening mm. and how to bring that in. And also about having, um, reminding yourselves of what actually you used to enjoy together before going through fertility problems. Because fertility problems can go on for a while. And therefore, uh, you know, they, and it, they can be very costly. Uh, so essentially, you know, a lot can get left behind, like those social things that you may have done together, which you enjoyed and which resourced you. So it's about bringing those in. Maybe not, you might not be going away for a week, but you could go away for an afternoon, for example. Mm-hmm. So bringing in, uh, reminding yourselves of what you used to enjoy together and having those times together and equally having spaces and time where you don't discuss fertility, but mm-hmm. also having spaces and time when you do. Mm. And then the other relationships that I discuss in that chapter is really about the professional relationships, because along the way, you know, at least you'll deal with, you know, lots and lots of professionals um, who are specialized in fertility. And, you know, that can be daunting. And also we, we may not necessarily be comfortable challenging our consultant, our doctor, our natural health physician, or, you know, being assertive around our own needs. And so, um, therefore, you know, if the, for, for it to work in the best way possible for the individual and for the couple, I believe that it's about 
being as assertive as possible to have your needs met throughout the process. Mm. So, so you just said a lot. Um, I think where you started, I thought was really important in that uh, each person going through, if you're in a partnership going through this, um, that one of the individuals is usually the patient, right? And all of these things are happening to that person, the female, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, most, most of the time, the female, or at least the most intrusive stuff that that goes That's on right. and on and on and on is happening for the female. And, and there can be a huge disconnect for a couple, you know, that, um, that the, that the female partner just feels a tremendous burden. It's in, it's impacting every area of her life, work and mm-hmm. friendships. And, and then, you know, the guy is kind of, um, or the other partner is kind of on the outside of that. And, and I think it is really difficult to, to communicate that each person's experience is just as valuable or valid, um, and how to get them to talk about that in a more, I don't know, supportive way, like you're talking about. And then there's this whole other piece of having to interact with the medical community that is challenging for the individual and for the couple navigating all of those financial decisions and the next steps. Yes. And that's why it's important. You know, it is true that, you know, basically the women, you know, they tend to be the mothership of it. And and that can be difficult if the fertility problem isn't there, isn't necessarily um, an issue, which is physically, um, you know, their issue. So for Mm -hmm. example, if it's a a problem with sperm and quality or quantity, then you would st- the woman obviously would still need to go through IVF, um, maybe to have ICSI in order to support uh, conception and pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it can lead to if you've got to have, you know, more than one IVF that can eventually, especially if you feel unsupported by your partner. And it could be because maybe they have they are feeling self-blame and so they are emotionally distancing themselves from the process or it could be that they just don't necessarily empathize, then that person can really feel resentment. So Mm -hmm. that's why it's important to really explore, well, how do I feel about this? And what are my, you know, real deep thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. going through this? And what are my needs? And that's individually and as a couple. And that's why I think the journaling can be really helpful because it can bring our awareness to much deeper feelings that we might not even be consciously admitting to ourselves, thoughts that we might not be consciously admitting to ourselves. Um, So it it can really tune us into what's actually happening as can mindfulness. And then, you know, the communication piece is about how best do I communicate this, you know, and hopefully um, if we assertively communicate our needs, we're more likely to have them met, not guaranteed, of course. And it, it does put an immense strain on lots of relationships and then for others it brings them much closer together as Mm -hmm. they you know really find that they are their true friends to each other at a time when other people are experiencing other things they're they're walking this you know journey together so it's about how you can bring people closer to understanding each other more um, as they as they go through it. So that brings us to our final topic of discussion today. As you say, it's hugely important to have positive connections in dealing with infertility 
but many people find that their existing social networks become a source of stress rather than support. Could you talk about what happens socially? Well, what can happen is that uh, if, for example, a group of friends, you know, often I would hear that lots of people in that group are becoming pregnant and becoming what pregnant quite easily and mm. maybe not sensitive to the couple. And mm. um, so it can be in almost instinctual to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And of course, the more we withdraw from our social network, our social support, the more likely it is that we can become really low and depressed. Mm-hmm. So it is about actually um, challenging yourself and yet not overwhelming yourself. So I, I don't suggest that anybody goes to baby showers or even sometimes I've worked with people who've been organizing baby showers and I really don't recommend that. Yeah. So it's really about how to self-care. And yet at the same time, keep the connections that are healthy, Mm. that are supportive um, and that are nurturing. Mm. And also sometimes people don't don't express it to anybody. So they're really sensing, feeling isolated and yet not sharing um, that they are going through a difficult time. Mm -hmm. So um, it is about saying, well, who are the people who and even if it's less than a handful of people, you know, who are the people who are generally supportive of me? going through this or who would be or who could be supportive of me going through this uh, who are supportive of us and equally so a plus minus really who who are the people who are not supportive who are, who's, in, who's insensitive who keeps asking me every time I see them you know you know are you going to start a family when are you mm-hmm. going to start a family have you tried this approach have you tried that approach mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. who are the people who really you don't need to be inviting around for you know extended periods of time so it's really about plus and minus people, places and things, you know, what environments support us, what environments support us individually, what people support us, what people support us individually and uh, and equally what doesn't. And it's about really during this time, increasing your contact with people who are more likely to uh, help you and keep you socially and, and important that you do challenge yourself to be socially engaged with them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, maybe not having as much contact uh, where a person is really, you know, not supportive or understanding or trying to understand your experience. Because it's very, it's, um, it, you know, it's a little bit like if somebody has depression and a person says, you know, snap out of it and, you know, why don't you just jump up out of bed and think about going for a run? You know, it's a bit, people can be very insensitive to yeah, other people yeah. through fertility problems and um it's okay if you educate them and then, you know, they, they they show a little bit more compassion. But if they don't, then you're really saying, well, is it helpful to me right. to try and, and engage in that group because I feel that I should? Right. Or is it more helpful to me to engage in maybe um, another friend or meet another friend for coffee and maybe not meet them, you know, uh, at the weekends, but maybe meet them directly after work or something like that where... You don't feel that you're going into a whole family um, situation that might be too hard for you. Or equally, if a friend, you know, has a baby, do you need to go into a hospital or could you send flowers and a nice note? You know, Mm -hmm. so it's about doing what it feels, uh, you know, okay for you. So Mm -hmm. maybe even asking those friends that if you know they're trying to have a baby, that maybe they could let you know by text if they become pregnant so that you Mm -hmm. have time. To, de- to process that and decide how you're going to respond before you contact them rather than it necessarily being at a dinner table and you're kind of stuck in this situation. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, so I can see where the perspective of the person or the couple going through infertility is to really pay attention to what is what feels good to be around and what doesn't feel good to be around and really to give yourself permission to um, to choose based on that, that there, that there aren't necessarily, during this time at least, um, obligations that need to be absolutely held. Um, yes. how, how about the other, you know, the other side, some of the people listening to this podcast, maybe friends or family of people who have gone through or are going through infertility or infertility treatment, what are your recommendations in terms of supporting somebody who you know is going through this process? Well, it can be helpful to offer support and, and also say that you're not going to keep checking in with them. And the reason that you're not checking in with them around their progress is that it, people can feel that they suddenly have to share really deep medical information uh, to people because they get maybe three or four texts a day. How did it go at the consultant? Now, mm. you may feel that you're being really supportive of an individual by asking them that, but actually they then suddenly have to hold information that might take them a few days to deal with, and they have to feel that they are obliged to then answer three or four texts from family members to give them an update. Mm. Um, and that's not very helpful to them. So, so take the lead of the person going through the fertility problem. Ask them what their needs are. So in other words, to offer that I am here if you need me. Um, I am more than happy to talk about it, but I'm also going to respect your space. And if you're going into a consultant, I'll wait for you to make contact with me as you need to. Mm -hmm. And I won't be checking in with you so that you don't have to give me daily and weekly updates on your medical treatment process, mm -hmm. which can uh, certainly, you know, the first time somebody does a cycle, they find that helpful. But certainly, I mean, my experience is by the time if they go to a second cycle or a third cycle or consider other treatment approaches, they really don't find that helpful. It's more stressful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. Um, it seems, you know, there's more and more coverage in the media um, about uh, infertility as it becomes more and more um, common for people to be going through egg freezing, for example, um, mm. for IVF. Um, and some of the media, I think, takes um, kind of a, I don't know, satirical or um, humorous approach to what not to say to people who are going through infertility. There was an article posted on the Huffington Post um, earlier this year with the 21 things not to say that people to people who are going through infertility. Um, I think in an effort to, you know, draw people's attention to the fact that it's not your business, whether mm -hmm. or not so-and-so is going to have another baby. And every time you see them, you don't need to ask them when they're having their yeah. next baby or when they're going to have a baby. And the number one is, um, the response of just relax and it'll happen yeah. if you tr stop trying so hard. Um, so I think it's helpful for, for even for people who are going through this to, you know, to look outside into the media for support, not just um, written support, but um, support groups, finding a psychotherapist who specializes in fertility, are there any resources that you, you that you really rely on for people, um, either friends and family or 
people going through infertility. Yes, well, I would agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, stock answers, having stock answers available so that, you know, for those family gatherings, those weddings, um, you know, that you literally have two or three answers, which mean that you don't get emotionally drawn into that question. When are you going to start family? You know, have you, and just relax. And, you know, a friend of mine went on holidays and as uh-huh. soon as she went on holidays and she stopped trying uh-huh. to get pregnant, she got uh-huh. pregnant. Uh-huh. You know, to, to actually have a comeback um, answer to that can can really be liberating because you don't feel emotionally charged and drawn into it in the same way every time. So if you have mm. three stock answers, um, then it can be uh, it can be helpful to to draw on them depending on the situation. Um, and equally, there's there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of helpful books out there. There's a lot of uh, helpful support. You you know what I'd say is if you're feeling emotionally distressed by this. Uh, you know, it can feel daunting to go through treatment, but equally, it's a particular length of time in your life. You're not going to go be going through this, thankfully, experiencing for it can feel like forever, but it won't be. And therefore, you know, it is helpful to say, well, just during this time, I might, you know, rely on extra help. Um, mm. And uh, there, we all need help at different times in our life. And this, you know, can be just a time that you might need a little bit of extra. And as you said, it can be helpful if the person understands the fertility process, because otherwise it can, they can also hear, I often hear, you know, people, you know, hearing things equally from practitioners that aren't very helpful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is important that that whoever you go to see has an understanding of the actual treatment process or possible process that you're going through. And there's a lot of resources out there. The, the, um, American, uh, the ASM, American uh, Society for Reproductive Medicine has got a lot of handouts on their uh, website that can be really, really helpful. Uh, there is Infertility Network UK, uh, are, uh, you know, a, a basically support resource for people going through fertility treatment. There's a lot of blogs. Again, be careful. Um, you know, some blogs are very, very helpful. And some, if you're an, an over-empathizer, you can end up trying to uh, basically maybe over support other people when you haven't got enough resources for yourself. So mm. blogs can be helpful and not helpful, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, so just check in with yourself and, uh, you know, just check in and say, am I better or worse after I experience, after I go there for help? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and therefore you'll find the help that's right for you. So mm-hmm. for some people that's going to see, you know, a massage therapist, for some people that's going to see as a fertility specialist counselor for some people it's reading books for some people it's a combination of all of those things or none of those things mm-hmm, it's going for a mm-hmm. walk on the beach it's going for a walk in the mountains or it's a combination but you know you'll find your own way but it is important to seek some support emotionally psychologically and i believe physically because it, it actually impacts mm-hmm. on all levels mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a nice place to end today, Anne. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us about your new book, Mind, Body, Baby. We'll be posting more information on how to contact Anne and about other infertility resources. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if anybody out there is going through this, you know, I I wish you all the best on your fertility journey. for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. 
You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.